0: Okay, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 4 this evening. Philippians 4 and verses 1 to 9. We come again to this great section of the fourth chapter. These first nine verses. And it's just such a powerful section of text in Philippians 4 and verses 1 to 9. And this now, the third week on this text, and we've seen so many great details in these nine verses. We've recognized that conjunction at the beginning of verse 1 that connected all the way back to the previous three chapters and all that existed prior to that that's brought forward and and tied together. We've already seen five points in these first seven verses. And these indicated of many different details and and many different teachings and exhortations that Paul has brought forward to us. And each of these five points, we've given a two-word title and done so kind of uh, making them connect with a, a P and an I. If you were a Magnum P.I. fan, um, then you're telling your age. But that's all right, we won't tell. But that's what we've used for each of our points, and we'll continue to. Our our first verse was a perfect introduction, which revealed Paul's great love for this church. And all through Philippians, we've talked about the power and the the wonderful piety that's in this church in Philippi. And Paul's love for them is overflowing in this perfect introduction as he exhorts them to stand strong. In our second point, we saw a particular intercession in verses two to three where Paul was admonishing the church to intercede with these two particular women who were godly women who had had a powerful impact. And usefulness in Paul's ministry, but we're now struggling with one another interpersonally. And so he exhorts the church to help them in the lives that they're leading. Our third point from verse 4 was a prescriptive imposition. And that prescriptive imposition is where Paul emphatically prescribes to the church to rejoice in verse 4. Two different times giving us that command to rejoice And the fourth was the the purposeful injunction in verse 5 where gentleness was commanded. Something that seems almost contradictory or like an oxymoron, the, the jumbo shrimp that were commanded to show our gentleness. And what we understood is that was required because what that gentleness means is it's giving preference to others. It's not considering our own rights But it is showing ourselves to be those who are willing to even take and suffer offense for the sake of Christ. And of course that was indicated to us because there was nothing more important. And the reason was because the Lord was near. And that nearness was a result of Paul's expressing Christ's soon return. And when we consider Christ's return, everything else does fade away, doesn't it? There's nothing else that matters in light of the fact that when we consider that the moment that the trumpet sounds, the moment that the archangel of God calls out and the dead in Christ are raised up, it is at that point too late for any who are still here on earth. Now that doesn't mean it is their last chance as they go through the tribulation. There are opportunities for those to come to know Christ. But how much better is it you know, for those of us that came to the Lord later in life, you know, 37 years old, how much better would it have been at 27 or 17? For that matter, even one year better at 36. But you know, this is what we want for others, and it's because the Lord is near that we're commanded to show that gentleness and to suffer offense and to put ourselves out there even if we're to be abused because it is For the sake of Christ and his return. So, this was that reminder for us as we consider all of these. Our our fifth and final point from last week was a peaceful interaction in verses six to seven. And that was a reminder for us not to be anxious about anything. Those verses, so closely connected, as you might remember, with Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Verses that I encourage all of you to spend time reading and memorizing and being ready to use because anxiety, fear, worry, and anger are closely connected emotions and they are all put to rest by these verses in Philippians 4, 6-7 to and by that text in Matthew 6, 25-34. So study that, beloved, and know it. And as we pray in all ways and all times, God gives us this supernatural peace, does he not? As we give these things over, even the most difficult things of our lives. So you can go back and and review all of those if you've missed any of them. And with these as our background, we come to our text and our title for tonight, our title continuing from the last two weeks, the same as it's been, The Beginning of the End. The beginning of the end. And we could call this part three, as this is our third evening together in this. So let's read our text and talk about these final two points. Philippians 4, 1-9. to Paul writes there in Philippians 4 and 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The beginning of the end. Well, verse 8 begins our first of two points for this evening. And the last two in our section, verse 8, which is our sixth point, as we've been going along now in our series, I've titled, A Ponderous Implication. A Ponderous Implication. Now, verse 8 is a continuation of our previous verses, but it begins a concluding section. In many of your Bibles, you notice that the the verse number 8 is actually bolded, showing that there's a transition that goes on there. And although we've got a continuous section, this transition is to the conclusion. And that's also indicated to us, not just by the bold face 8, but also by the first word, finally, finally. Finally, my beloved, after this vast array of teaching that he's brought to us, finally he's bringing us to a conclusion regarding it. We've had seven commands so far in these first seven verses. He commanded us to stand firm in verse 1. He commanded us to help them in verse 3. That is, the ladies' He commanded us twice in verse 4 to rejoice. He commanded us to make known our gentleness or our conciliation in verse 5. He commanded us to be anxious for nothing in verse 6. And also in verse 6 to make our requests known to God. Seven commands. Powerful teaching and exhortation as to how we're to live our lives. Even to this great church. What a wonderful reminder for us as we strive to be a church that would echo the light of Christ. And that these are commands that are applicable to this great church and also to us. And now in verse 8, he gives us another command, now the eighth, and we find it at the end of verse 8 where it says, dwell on these things. That also is a command. The literal translation of that Greek verb is to think logically, or to reckon. Now, growing up in Montana, that was kind of a redneck word. You know, I remember, you know, as we would be out, Brandon calves or something, that we would talk about, oh, I reckon, that this is how it ought to be done. But reckon is actually a very intellectual word that means to think about and ponder and to focus on. And so this is the meaning of what he is telling us here. Some translations say think about or think on. Some say to meditate on this. And it is actually, it's the last word in the Greek sentence in verse 8, making it the second most emphatic position in this sentence. So not only is it a command, but he places it at the end so that he draws us through the whole discussion and then tells us, now think about this. Now dwell on this. Now ponder this. Now reckon what I've said. So after all the exhortation and commands, it's like Paul massively puts the brakes on. We've had command, 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 command. And now all of a sudden, he tells us to pull things back. To think about this. To really stop and dwell on what's going on. So let's do slow down and think about or, or reckon or meditate or dwell on these things. And the items that we're to ponder are in our sixth point, this ponderous implication. And there are eight of these implications in verse 8 that we're going to look at. Eight implications that mark the list that we're to be dwelling upon. And the first is that which is true. That which is true, what does that mean? What things are really true? Can you think of somebody in the Bible that asked that question? What is truth anyway? Pilate, right, at Jesus' trial? That's a great place for us to go to understand the definition of truth. Because obviously Pilate didn't pull that out of the air. And we see that in John chapter 18... And verses 37 and 38. It's actually John 18, 38, where Pilate asked the question, what is truth? But prior to that, in verse 37, it's, the text says, Therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly, I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So what is the truth? It is that to which Christ testified. John 17, 17. Your word is truth. So we know that it is this word that we hold that is the truth that we are to hold to. And that we are to ponder on first. We, we also recognize that it isn't just in John 17. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth in John 16:13. So not only is it the word, is it the scripture, but it is the Holy Spirit that is also truth. Paul said that Jesus in, is the truth. Uh, a few books earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, and verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. So these things that we are to ponder that are true are the Spirit, are the Word, are the Son, and of course also are the Father, as we see in Second 2 Timothy 2.25. So think about that. Meditate on that. Spend time in your day focusing on the truth that is Christ. And that is, that is his word. The necessity for us to be reading the scripture becomes self-evident here. If this is what we're to ponder, then we must be in it to reflect upon it and to have it bring new light and understanding to our hearts and minds. And and I want to encourage you. I pray that you've got a good Bible reading program. And if you don't, come see me. I know of a number of great programs, depending on the time that you have, that will take you through the Old and New Testament. It's vital that we see all this going on in the New Testament, but so also the Old. You know, so many reading programs that focus on a proverb daily have you continually moving through the Psalms because they just are great truth and power. Well, the second implication that we are to dwell upon are the things that are honorable. This word also is translated as honest or or noble. And First Timothy 3.8 uses this word... To talk about deacons. And he says deacons are to be men of dignity. It is the same word that we have translated here in verse 8 as honorable. That which is dignified. It means that which is worthy of respect. What are the things that we think of that are worthy of respect in our lives? These are what we're to dwell on. These are what we're to ponder and focus our hearts and minds to. The third implication is that which is right. That which is right. The root of that word right is the same root that is used in the word righteous. So it's speaking about men that are rightly related to God. Or it's talking of things which are pure and which are innocent. That which is proper. What a a beautiful picture we have of this all around us in the world because so much is improper. And as we think of those things which we know are wrong, it immediately ought set our hearts and our minds on that which is right, on those deeds which we see that are upright and that are honorable in men, even as we have just celebrated the importance of Memorial Day and men and women who have given their life for our country It would be wonderful to say they are all Christians and that they are all in heaven, but we know that's not the case. But they all have had a proper and an honorable perspective. They all have been seeking to do in serving their country that which they felt was right. So this is an important thing for us to understand. Our our fourth implication, after looking at... That which is true and honorable and right is whatever is pure. That is That which is without moral defect and, and free from sin. And we think of that and we go, oh my gosh, what's that? I mean, none of us are free from sin. Is that the picture that's being painted? No, it's not. In fact, Peter uses this same term in First Peter 3.2 to speak about The perspective of the godly wife who is able to win her unbelieving husband without a word as he observes her gentle and respectable behavior. It is that respectable behavior that is the same word that we are seeing here in that which is pure. She is responding in a way that is of his consideration in a way that is not that which which he is deserving. Frankly, none of us as men are deserving of our wives that would respond in a submissive way, for each of us have in our own hearts too great of a degree of selfishness. But yet, here we see this word as part of that which we are to focus on. That which is clean and undefiled. Ultimately, it is the picture of Christ as we see in 1 John 3.3. But It's our progress, isn't it? As believers, this is where we're going. We're we're on a road. We're on a path. And we're trying to grow in holiness. We're trying to grow in piety. And we're trying to understand as we examine God's word and we allow it to impact and to reflect who we really are, how we would grow in this purity, how we would grow in that holiness. And we're seeing a lot of overlap in these terms, and rightly so. Because this is what we're to dwell on. These are the things that we're to have our hearts and our mind centered on. Our fifth implication is whatever is lovely. That means that which is pleasing. This is the only time this word is used in the scripture. And it's talking about that which is dear, that which is kindly affectionate. Can you think of those in your life who reflect that kindly, affectionate perspective to you. I pray that your marriages reflect that. I would pray that you had fathers and mothers that reflect that. I pray that, uh, you know, even your children or grandchildren would show that kindly affection to you. One dictionary notes that this is what characterizes the behavior of the church. Is that not a great picture? Think about the way that this body has ministered to you. That is that which is kindly affectionate. That is the picture here of that which is lovely. What a a beautiful example of others that are coming out. What a delight it is as, as we have one in our body who's going to have surgery. And we have this rally point of everybody that shows up at the hospital. And they don't just show up for a few minutes, but they come and they stay. And we all expect Lori to bring her goodie bag so that we have sustenance for the half hour or hour or four hours or whatever it may be. But that is lovely. That is the picture of the church showing the love of Christ. And that is something that we are to dwell upon and to think about. What a a beautiful consideration for us. Our sixth implication is whatever is of good repute, that which is of good report or commendable. This is another word that's used only here in the Bible. And it reflects to us these things that are, as we've discussed before, honorable. These things that come to us that others reflect as being those things that reflect God, that reflect a a character of giving and love. And that are, these are the things that are of good report or of good repute. Our seventh implication changes the form. And instead of whatever, as we see with all of the first six that we've gone over, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, now we see the form change to if any or if there is any. Now that ought to strike a resonant chord in our hearts. Because that's exactly the language that we saw Paul used back in chapter 2. Turn back to verse 1 of chapter 2 with me. One of my favorite verses because it just just should set our hearts on fire. Philippians 2.1 Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... And we can just stop right there and go, go, is that a question? Is that a real question? If there is any encouragement in Christ... The real question is, is there any encouragement that is not in Christ? This is true encouragement. And then, if there is any consolation of love, is that not the greatest consolation? To know the love that is shown to us by others in the church, by others in our family, and ultimately the expression that God shows to us in opening our eyes and taking us from darkness to light and in showing us Christ? Is there any greater consolation? What a beautiful picture. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit. What, what glory and joy is it to spend time talking with a believer? You know, we had a couple come in from out of town last night, uh, unexpectedly on their way to uh, a funeral and spend the night with us. And just the evening of sitting and talking about the things of the Lord. What a, what a beautiful fellowship. What a, what a wonderful perspective. And if any affection and compassion. Make my joy complete, he goes on to say. So he asks all these questions, if there is any, as if to say, this is everything. So as he comes back to that same component here in verse 8... And he says, if there is any excellence, it's as if he's saying, these are all of the excellence. This is, this is where it sits. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the importance of our lives together. If any, the, excellent, the word excellence relates back to the word uh, efficient ability. So it's talking about something that is carried forward in action that is of excellence. It, it's used, this word is used mostly by Peter. It's only used five times in the Bible. Four of them by Peter. And three of those refer to the excellencies of God. Is that not a perfect picture of excellence? Is there anything that God does that is not perfectly excellent? Everything that he does in our lives, everything that he does as he interacts with us, as he leads us and guides us and shapes us and hones us and even allows us to stumble and to fall, it's so that he can pick us back up and dust us off and say, I'm there, let's move on the path, let's learn from this, let's not get that stone next time, let's step over it. But even if you don't, I'm still there for you. He uses it, Peter also uses it one time to speak of moral excellency. And this word deals with all the matters of faith and life. All that's in our life from a faith point of view is is a matter of excellence. It's a matter of something that is done with efficient ability. I would like to have come to the Lord earlier. But you know, I don't think the Lord was the problem in the process. I think probably it was a hard-headed man. And it was that time where the Lord prepared the way, as he did with each of us, as he continues to do with each of us, and shows us this perfect picture. Well, our, our eighth implication is if there is any praise. As we consider all of the things we've talked about, as we consider the overall aspect of being right and pure and lovely, that which focuses on faith, what could bring, fit, bring true praise outside of that? Nothing can. Is this not what we really can bring true praise for? This is that which shows us the power and the truth of God. It shows us the strength that is in our walk. And it is so beautiful for us to understand this. These are the eight ponderous implications, and we're to dwell on them. When we spend time every day, we are to think about these things, all of the things that reflect this. And beloved, everything that is in our world that reflects God shows these. I love to get up and to go out in the morning and to feel the humidity. It's so great right now. It is. It's just great. The thunderstorm in the middle of the night could have been a little shorter and a little quieter but that's okay um but to get up and to go out and to to feel the air to smell the beautiful aroma to look at the pine trees now these are these are pictures of god pine trees palm trees i, I never can stop talking about palm trees why is it that god decided to inscribe palm trees upon the door of the sanctuary i don't know but i can't wait to find out I mean, they're, they're incredible. And there's so many kinds. Which kind was it? Was it the kind that's in my backyard? Is it the kind that's across the neighbor's house? What is it? But all of these things are pictures of God. All of these things are perfect creations. All of these point us to God. They point us to Christ. They show us a plan. They show us perfection. They show us purity. Yes, creation suffers from the fall. And it longs to be delivered but it still points to the perfection of God. It still points to a perfect six literal 24-hour days of creation where God spoke and everything came into being with the exception of man, which he formed from the dust of the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life as he breathed into this word, the perfect book to guide our lives. These are the things to focus on the love of the church, one another as we pray for each other. These are the things that are ponderous implications and that must saturate our heart and our mind because as they do, they crowd out all of the wrong stuff that tries to creep in. I can't be thinking about my selfishness. I can't be thinking about anything else when I'm focusing on the things that God has done in perfection. And that's what these... Eight implications bring forward? Well, our seventh point is a practical application. A practical application in verse 9 where it says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Well, the eighth command in verse 8 was to think about or to dwell on these things. Now we get the ninth command in verse 9 and it is to practice these things. Think about them. Sit there. Ponder them. Focus on them. Allow them to saturate your heart and your mind. And now do them. Get the rubber to the road. Get out there and start acting. Our faith is not a passive faith. Our faith is not an unthinking faith. Our faith is an active, moving, living, breathing action that carries us forward. And that's what this final command tells us. Practice these things. Do these things. Dwell on them, yes, and now do them. And what a beautiful picture of this for us to understand You know, it's interesting from verse 8 to 9, at the end of verse 8 in our English Bibles is a period. It's kind of an unfortunate period. It really isn't there in the Greek text. In fact, not only isn't it there, but verse 9 begins with a dependent clause. Which means that verse 9 is immediately tied to verse 8. There's no separation here. We kind of see these as almost two remote issues by our sentence structure, but they're not. It's like, as a result of all that you have pondered, now go do these. And not only go do them, but the things that he tells us to do are what? The things that we have learned and received. The things that we have heard and seen. In me in Paul. These are the actions that to be, are carried forward. You know, we talked earlier uh, uh, about Miss Zelna, and I don't, you know, we're not putting Miss Zelna on a pedestal, although she certainly deserves it, but all of our senior saints, as they continue to march along, as we look at our husbands who are ministering to their wives in extreme adversity, these are the things we focus on. Why? Because we need to be that way. I need to look at all of you, and you reflect a million ways that I fall short. And I need to look at each component in your lives as I think about you, as I think of the way that you minister to one another, as you minister in this body. And I need to realize, I've got to step up. That's what we do with one another. We recognize ways that we still fall short. And that we can grow in our sanctification and we can grow in our holiness and in our piety. That's what this is all about. That's why we think about all these things because they draw us to see ways that we fall short. And and sometimes we don't like thinking about those things, we'd really rather not. But it's so vital that we realize this because this is where true growth comes from. Just like in our difficulties, just like in our failures. You know, I, I remember playing football in high school and finally at a sophomore uh, kind of getting it a little bit about what it meant to hit someone, you know, and going out there and we, we had a kid get hurt, so I got to start in a game against Fruitland and playing defensive end and I wasn't very big, but I was pretty quick around the end and there's that quarterback standing there like this. Oh, just meet. I loved it. And, you know, I thought I was just the greatest football player ever, but it wasn't but a few plays later that I'm chasing a guy across the field, and, and here comes the, the outside receiver, and he takes me sideways, and I feel like I flew about 10 yards before I hit the ground. I learned a little bit. That phone will stop eventually. I hope apologize for that. Um, I learned a little bit from tackling the quarterback. I learned a whole lot from getting cut in half by the crossing pattern of the end. You better keep your eyes open. And so it is in our lives. You know, when we fail, we learn a lot better than when we succeed. Because failure hurts. And we don't like to hurt. So we want to do it right next time. And so it is as we consider these things in our lives, and as we ponder things, and as we assess ourselves, that is what has the real power. So these things that they are to do, the first of the four is that which you have learned But notice these aren't isolated. They are pairs. What you have learned and received. Okay, it's fine to learn, but if we don't take it in, it doesn't do anything for us. I learned grammar in high school. I took none of it in. It did nothing for me. We have to learn and we have to receive. And notice also with the second pair. What you have heard. It's not just what we hear, but it's what we see. We can sit and listen to a man and listen to him go on and on and on about different things, but what do we really recognize? Not what we hear from him, but what we see in him. And so Paul says, What you learned and received from me, what you heard and you saw in me, practice these things. These are the things that we're to be focusing on. And these things, because this is a dependent clause, are all of the things that we just went over. All of the the eight implications of that which is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute, of excellence and worthy of praise. Now, Paul wasn't perfect either. He had plenty of shortcomings. But when he asked the church... He asked them to look and dwell upon those things that were right. We could all look at one another and, you know, you could have a field day picking apart the things that are shortcomings of mine. But that doesn't do us any good. It's when I look and I see the nuances that God is doing, the way that he's building up, the way that he is strengthening you, and the way that he is using you. These are the things that I realize I need to seek to bring into my life. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. These pairs of that which is learned is that which is assimilated. It's that which we make our own. As we practice them, they become ours. I'm going to take this and I'm going to put it to use. You know, it's the wonderful gospel story of the, the Christmas present, which Christ has given to all the world. But so many leave underneath the Christmas tree unopened. It's only when that present is open. It's only when we understand these things and we make them our own, when we're willing to assess ourselves and recognize how we can grow. These are all the things that were seen in our author and all of the things which are the implications of a God-honoring life. And all these are to be put into practice. And every day, beloved, we need to grow. Every day we need to understand shortcomings because, as we've stated before, there's only two states of being on this planet. There are things which are dying and things which are growing. And I don't want to be part of the dying, and neither do you. From a spiritual perspective, we already know what's going on with our bodies. And the older we get, the better we understand. But from a spiritual perspective, there never needs to be that dying Only the continual growth and living in the power of Christ. And to the one who pursues this, the end of verse 9 tells us in this practical illustration. The one who practices and accomplishes this. Not perfectionism. We're never going to get there. There's no sinless perfection. But to him, the God of peace will be with him. We saw that peace of God that passes all understanding back in verse 7 of chapter 4. This is the same concept. It is the God who is peace, the God who is love, the God who is truth. And this is what we desire ultimately. We desire peace in our lives. And of course we know, as we talked about in verse 7, that we have no peace in this world. It's exactly what Christ told us. But he says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. It's such a joy to recognize all that God is showing us as he brings us through these various commands and exhortations and how we're to grow. And what a privilege it is to understand that we grow together. We grow together as a body as we edify one another and we use one another's strengths to grow yet further as we understand our own weaknesses. I pray that as God impresses upon us the blessings that we have in this amazing body of Christ, that we understand that our privileges are rich, our responsibilities are high as well, for we know that to whom much is given, much is required. But it was such a joy for me last night as this man and his wife came and they said, you know, what's the difference or or what are the similarities between... Your church now, and between where you used to minister, at Grace Community or at Santa Clarita Baptist, they were members at Santa Clarita Baptist, by the way, before they moved to uh, North Carolina. I said, well, there's a lot, of, a lot of similarities. There's a lot of differences. But I think the one thing that is so amazing is that this is a body that has such a strong percentage of individuals who are fervent and zealous for Christ. And and if you think about our body, I I don't think there's any arguing that. When we look at at our church family, we have a very large percentage of people that are fervent for Christ. I, I know from our church in Santa Clarita, that percentage was probably way less than 50%. I know at Grace Community Church, wonderful church, John MacArthur, one of the greatest preachers of all times. But having served and worked in that church, I can tell you that of the 7,000 to 7,500 people that show up to a service on Sunday morning, only a third of them go to Sunday school. And that evening service goes down by even less than that. When we think about our body and when we think about the faithfulness here, we have a great privilege to grow from one another. And so I hope that this will be an encouragement to you to to focus on these things, these implications, and that God will strengthen you to put these into practice and that as a result we would continue to build one another up in our most holy faith because it is the most glorious privilege we have and we cannot miss a moment and we cannot pass up a second of understanding those that are around us and looking at what God's doing in their lives to build them up and to glean from that because these are the things that we have to focus on.